All right, so I think it'll be good for us to just take the first five verses of chapter 9. Who can read that for us? I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. That I, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Good, good. Thank you. Take a moment to read that one more time on your own and we'll talk about it together. All right, so <clears throat> for us to really understand how this chapter is starting out, it's good to put it into context of what St. Paul literally just said. Remember that everything in the scriptures doesn't have the break of these chapters the same way that we see it in our modern Bibles today. Okay, so we have chapters and verses and all of these sections that are broken up, but remember that these documents were basically just one single letter, okay? And it was all just like one huge essay. What we see as chapters and verses is more of like a modern editorial input that just helps us to understand like certain locations in the Bible, right? But think of chapter 9 just continuing along the same thought, not necessarily that there's a distinct break, okay? Because it's intricately connected with chapter 8, right? So he starts saying that, you know, I tell you the truth, I'm not lying, and there are two things that he refers to that serve as his witness in telling the truth. What are these two things? This is an easy question, just to make sure you're with me. Sorrow and continual uh, grief. Well, in... In, in the sense of what bears witness 
for the truth that he is telling. In the very first verse, he says, I'm not lying, my conscience, right? Good, my conscience also bearing me witness in what? In, the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Very good. So, and it's important for us, a lot of times we try to disconnect the two, but remember that the voice of the Holy Spirit is within our conscience, right? So, this is what St. Paul uses as the witness for his truth, okay? This is basically like the words of the Holy Spirit, which are resonating in his conscience okay now before he's talking about how god is not biased and god is not partial god does not um, forget about the other people outside of israel okay but then how do you think the jews felt about that whenever they hear that God cares about all of these people outside of the Jewish nation. What do you think? They don't like it. Of course. So it's almost like they think he's... They're not adopted. There you go. That they're not adopted or... He doesn't care about his own people, right? Yeah. You know, if you're telling me that God cares about the Gentiles, what about us? We're the Jews. We're supposed to be God's chosen people, right? So a lot of people that hear what St. Paul is saying are offended by it because they feel entitled. Okay? Why do they feel entitled? Simply because of their ethnicity because of their race, because of their identity as Jews. Okay? So they think that they should be automatically included in the inheritance because of their title as Jews. Because they thought, once you're a part of Israel, the Jewish nation, then you automatically receive the inheritance. All right, now St. Paul responds to that and says, even though God is not biased, even though God shows no partiality and He does care about the Gentiles and the people outside of the Jewish nation, it doesn't mean that we can forget about His own people. Okay? So it doesn't mean that St. Paul is rejecting his own people to the extent that he says, I myself would rather be accursed for my own brethren. I would, be, I would rather be accursed for Christ's sake for my own brethren. That's how much my heart goes out for my family, for my own people, the Jews, the Israelites, that God chose as his own nation. Okay? Do you remember someone else who said something like this in the Old Testament? Abraham or Isaac, something You're close. You're very close. Go a little bit later in the time. Just a little later. Uh, 
Who took the Jews out of Egypt? I think, I, yeah, I think. Oh. Moses? Is that Moses? That's Moses. it, right, Moses. Because remember, after he went to get the Ten Commandments, he came down, he saw them worshipping a golden calf. Yeah. So, God said, like, they're disobedient, they're rebellious, and God was going to destroy them. But Moses says, if, if you destroy them, then take my name out of the book of life. Right? That's how much he loved his people. And of course, God wasn't saying this because he intends to punish his people. Right? And Moses just had so much love for his people that he would even put their salvation before his own salvation. Okay? And I think this is one of the most difficult concepts for us to understand. Like, that I would rather choose your happiness than my happiness. I would rather choose your salvation than my salvation. Okay? It doesn't mean we ignore our responsibilities and we ignore caring for our own soul. Right? That should be our priority. Our priority is to, to first tend to our hearts, our own hearts. Because we can't help other people unless we help our own self first. Okay? But once we grow in love, once we grow in spiritual maturity, we want others to experience the salvation that we tasted in God, and that becomes just as important as anything else. Alright? So, this is basically St. Paul giving his defense about how much he cares for his own people. Just because he's telling them that God's care, God cares about the Gentiles does not mean he's ignoring his own family and the Jews and his own nation. Alright? Any comments or questions there? Alright, so it's pretty pretty straightforward, okay? Now let's go to the next few verses. We can go from six To 13 okay this is a tough section but like I said we'll take our time with it and we'll see what we can take away from this little section who can read from 6 to 13 Go for it, yes. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. 
nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is not that is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as a seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of word, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Good. All right, take your time to read this again on your own. I know it's a tough little section, so take your time and we'll discuss it together. All right. Like I said, we're going to take our time here. It's it's a tough passage, but like I said, we come to really understand this passage only in the context of the scriptures. And what St. Paul was saying at the end of chapter 9 builds, uh, at the end of chapter 8, builds a foundation for this context. Okay, so I want you to always keep in mind what we concluded with when we wrapped up chapter 8. Okay, so he starts out saying that it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, but they're not all Israel who are of Israel. Okay, what does that mean? We can actually include the, the next verse too, nor are they all children because they're the seed of Abraham. What does that mean? 
not, not all the people who Israel are Israel, you know what I mean? Are Israel like as Israel are not Israel. Good, 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 good. It's not just by your label that no. you are considered a real part of Israel. Just because your ethnicity or your race identifies you as a part of this group doesn't mean you actually belong to this group. Right? right? And he even uses the example of Abraham. Just because Abraham is one of your ancestors does not mean you're actually a child of Abraham. Remember what Christ said about the children of Abraham? What makes you a child of Abraham? You have to follow. You have to follow. He said that you would do the works of Abraham. That's what qualifies you as a child of Abraham. That's what gives you the right to say that Abraham is your father. Otherwise, you can claim this biological lineage or this ethnic lineage but race and ethnicity don't really matter here what matters is your your faith your actions very good okay now before we move on and build on this i want to just apply this in a practical way because i think This really applies to us, especially as Coptic Orthodox Christians. Because we say we have the most authentic faith, right? Don't we say that? Who said that? (laughs) I say that. (laughs) I say that. We do. We have the most authentic faith. There's no doubt about it. Right? We see that we have the traditions of the church, the writings of the fathers, we have the sacraments, we have so many tools that are at our reach, within our reach. We have the faith of the apostles preserved, right? So when we go to church, we have the security to know that we are in the right place. Right? We're confident and we're secure to know that. Okay? But a lot of times, this makes us a little comfortable and we take pride in our identity. We take pride in the label that I'm Coptic Orthodox. Right? And we can talk about the patriarchs and the saints in the church and the martyrs in our church and how rich our faith is. And we think that that qualifies us to be in a better place sometimes. Okay? And I'm not saying we always do this. We don't always do this. But sometimes we fall into it. Sometimes we think that we're we're fine because of the faith and the label that we have as a part of the Orthodox faith. Okay? And St. Paul's telling us just because you are descendants of Abraham, it doesn't make a difference. Okay? Just because you say you're Orthodox, that doesn't make you automatically holy. 
Okay? This is a simple concept. You know, I, I know everybody here agrees. Okay? But we just got to always remember this because a lot of times we're tempted to, to forget that you know, my label or my title does not give me a better position. Okay? Everybody with me so far? Good. Okay. So now, adding to this concept that it's not necessarily the descendants of Abraham or Israel that are actually identified with Israel. They're not the actual people that belong to Israel. But he says that those who are the children of the flesh... Those are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Okay, so he says that the children of God are the ones of the seed. Now, you know that Abraham was a father of many nations, right? But his promise was to be the father of the seed that will come. What is this seed? Absolutely. It's Christ. It's Christ Himself. This was the promise to Abraham. Not just that He'll be a father of many nations. Not just that His children will be like the stars in, in heaven. But that He will be the, the one of the lineage for Christ to come through Him. Okay? So, now I want you to read this little section again with that in mind. Okay? So, we're going to say, it's not the children of the flesh that are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of the promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son, which is Christ himself. Okay? So, the promise comes to those who are counted as the seed. To those who inherit what belongs to Christ. Okay? That means, if... We are in Christ, we reign with Christ, we are enthroned with Christ, we inherit all that belongs to Christ, because whatever belongs to Him is translated to us. Okay? Everybody with me? Yes. Any questions? I want to make sure I didn't lose anybody here. 
Okay. So he goes on to say, not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by her father Isaac, even though her, her children were not born, they didn't do anything good or anything bad. But the purpose of God, according to this election, might stand not of works, but of Him who calls. And then we come into this really tough verse, that the elder shall serve the younger, as it's written, Jacob, I've loved, Nisa, I've hated. Okay, so, let me just entertain some thoughts about this before I dive into it. What do you guys think? So, I think that the elder serving the younger is probably, um, since generation-wise, Christ is younger than his ancestors, but ultimately, he is God, and his ancestors will end up serving him. That might be what this means. Well, think of elder and younger in the sense of siblings. Esau and Jacob. Like Esau and Jacob, very good. So... You're, you're right on track, Sammy, you're right on track, but think of it in the context of siblings, right? All right? So, who receives the inheritance, the younger or the elder? The younger. Not so the younger. Jacob received it. Jacob received it, but who's supposed to receive it? Esau. Esau. Right, he was the firstborn, even though they're twins. Yes. But Esau came out just like two seconds earlier. <laughs> so technically, he's the firstborn. He's entitled to the inheritance. But he was, yeah, he was, he was the older son. He's entitled to the inheritance. But what happened? Why did he get the inheritance? Uh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And and he sold he sold his inheritance. He fooled him. You know the word Jacob, the name actually means supplanter, deceiver. Okay, so he fooled his older brother. Okay, but what does this tell you about Esau? For for Esau to throw away his inheritance for a bowl of lentils, what does this tell you about Esau? What was more valuable, the inheritance or a bowl of lentils for Esau? His curse. Yeah, he was careless. But I mean, that carelessness was because how, how little he valued his inheritance. Right? He thought that a meal was worth more than his inheritance. Right? If I come and I tell you, I'm going to give you $10 for your car. You're not going to say, okay, sure, that's great, we'll trade. 
right? Because you value your car more than the $10. But if you tell me, sure, that's great, I'll take the $10, here, take my car, that says that you don't know the real value of your car, right? Unless you're a saint and you're a monk and you just want to sell everything. <laughs> but we're not talking about monks or people that just give all of their possessions, right? But we sold it cheap because it's inheritance. Exactly. He didn't really value it, okay? But the inheritance belongs to the firstborn, right? Now, go back to what we said about Christ as the seed. Okay? Is Christ the firstborn or the secondborn? First. He's the first. He's the only begotten son. Okay. Now, what does this mean about the inheritance that belongs to Christ? Does, does he get any inheritance? Does he get some inheritance? Does he get all of the inheritance? What do you think? Yeah, he gets it all. He's got it all. Exactly, everything. Okay. And he inherits what belongs to his heavenly father. Right? That's his rightful inheritance. Okay. Now, St. Paul wants to say that God is directing His work in our life so that we can also participate in the life of Christ and to receive this inheritance as well. Because we're supposed to be... Just like Christ in everything that we do, that means we also receive the inheritance like Christ. Okay? But here, he says that God gave the inheritance to, to Jacob because he knows in advance how Jacob would respond. Okay, remember, it was prophesied that the younger or the older, no, it was prophesied in advance that the younger should serve the older, right? Um, but in this case, we know that, yeah, it was, it was reversed, right? So now let's bring this back to the, Comparison between Jacob and Esau for the way God views each person. Okay? I want you to think of this symbolically because Jacob represents Israel. He also represents the, the whole righteousness of the nation because Jacob and Esau are both a part of Israel they're brothers right but Esau 
represents what his lineage produced. Okay? Which is the, the lineage that didn't care about the inheritance. Right? We see like a deviation from God's will beginning with Esau. Does that make sense? So, I want to read to you what one of the, the writers in um, the explanations of the heart sayings in the Bible. It's, it's a really good book. If anybody would like to, to have a reference in some of these passages. He says that the strong expression, Esau I hated, must be seen as a typical example of Eastern hyperbole. Eastern hyperbole, like, an, like a symbol, okay? Which expresses things in terms of extremes. So, further in the Hebrew language, to love often means to favor. And to hate can mean to favor or love less. Okay? So he says, for example, like in Genesis 29.31 and in verse 33 as well, the Revised Standard reads in the Hebrew, Sinah as hate, literally. But the NIV renders the word with not loved instead of hate. Okay, so you see a difference in the Revised Standard Version and the NIV translation. Whereas one translates this word sinwa as hate and the other translates it as not loved. Because you think of God comparing the two. It does not mean that he literally hated Esau. But it's in relation to his love and his favor for Jacob. Okay? Because Jacob is the perfect model of what we would want to see in, in the sense of obedience and faithfulness. Even though Jacob as a person is not perfect, but that's what he represents. And then his brother is basically a representation of the opposite of that. Does that make sense? Okay, everybody with me. I want to make sure that you're with me in this because I know it's tough. It does not mean that literally God hates Esau, but he has a rejection of that representation that we see in Esau. Okay? But the focus is actually not on Esau. Where is the focus here? On the inheritance, right? The focus is on what Jacob received. So, St. Paul isn't writing this to say there are two opposite sides, but his focus is just on how much God wants to give us for us to inherit this blessing that belonged to Jacob. Okay? So... I'll share with you how Father Patrick Reardon interprets it. He says, The real mystery is what prompted God to love Jacob. 
Okay? Because like I said, Jacob wasn't perfect. Okay? He says, we do know what prompted God to love Jacob. He says that he has mercy on whom he has mercy and he shows compassion to whom he shows compassion. So that's God's business, not ours. Alright? But we're content to know that God treats no man unjustly. Esau got what he deserved and Jacob didn't. Our hope as Christians is that God will not treat us as we deserve. Okay? And we'll get into this concept a little bit more in the next section, but I want you to just focus on how Jacob is the center of our focus here. Even though Jacob wasn't perfect, he received the inheritance because of God's mercy and God's love. Right? He goes on, um, he, he remember in the previous chapter, he was talking about how God has no partiality. Right? And that all things work together for good to those who love God. He wants to give us more than we deserve. Right? So our focus is actually not just, oh, how can, how come like Esau didn't get the inheritance? But the bigger mystery is how come Jacob inherited this inheritance even though Jacob was a sinful man as well? Yeah, and he was like you said, the younger of the two siblings. He like, he struck his brother. Exactly. He did. Yeah. He did. It was like a little shady, but <laughs> he still received the inheritance. Okay, let's go to the next section and we can try to put it all together I think this next section will will help raise a little bit more questions and 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 clarify a little bit more as well. So let's go from verse 14 to 18. Who can read that for us? I'll read one. Okay. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. All right. Thank you. Take a moment to read that again, and we'll discuss it together.
All right, so I know this is still, still a little tough, all right? But again, remember that the focus here is how St. Paul wants to emphasize God's providence and how God gives us more than we deserve, okay? Otherwise, we, would, we wouldn't see Jacob or Esau receive an inheritance because you could say Jacob was the younger and he didn't deserve it and Esau betrayed his inheritance as well, right? But the focus is how God gives even those who do not deserve it, okay? But then he raises this question, if God gives to those who don't deserve it, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Like God is going to be merciful to these people and we know that they don't deserve it, right? And he says what? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. What does that mean? He's in control. He's, well, I, I, not, I, like, I like to say that he's providing for us, but to say that God is in control almost puts it in a sense of God dictating. You know what I mean? So we can say that we can say that God arranges our circumstances. He chooses, hmm? he chooses like right. whoever he wants right. to do mercy or compassion. God works done for even we get born. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I just like to stay away from the phrase "God is in control" because it implies that. He dictates what happens. You know what I mean? No, I meant, I meant everything is in his hands. Exactly. Very good. Perfect. Exactly. Yes. Perfect. 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 So now, we take that and apply it to the way he loves, to the way he cares for us. We apply it even to the way he shows us mercy. Right? Because. We don't understand God's providence. We don't understand God's mercy. Right? And even St. Anthony was troubled by this. Remember the story whenever St. Anthony was praying to God, like, how come the rich and the wicked are prospering, but the poor and the victims are oppressed, right? And that all of these good people have nothing. So, how did God respond? You remember this? Do you think God would explain to St. Anthony? Like, St. Anthony is a big saint, right? He deserves an explanation, right? 
But what did God say? You will have compassion or something like that. He did, oh, close. He just said, Anthony, like, خليك <laughs> في Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he just told him that he needs to only worry about his own salvation. Leave those other matters to me. Like, you're not going to process my love and my wisdom and the way that I'm directing and arranging everything in, in this world. So, if St. Anthony... Same, yeah. The if, same thing when God... When Jesus told Peter about uh, John the Beloved, how yes. the way he should, yeah, he perfect. Told him, yeah, same thing. Perfect. He told him, "Don't worry about it. If he yeah. lives, if he lives until I come Where back, is it with you. Yeah, and the Malik, like, <laughs> don't worry about it. That's a perfect example. So I think it keeps us humble because the disciples, even Saint Anthony didn't get a, a you know a, a, um, an explanation about all of these mysteries right so we shouldn't feel entitled for God to justify how he works in our life we know that he loves us we know that he died for us that should be enough and, and we should trust that He shows mercy to the one that He shows mercy and He has compassion on the one that He has compassion because of His love and His wisdom. Not because He loves one person more than the other. Right? And that will teach us patience. Exactly. Exactly. And it requires faith for us to have the patience and to really trust God. So, he goes on to say this example with Pharaoh. What's the deal with Pharaoh? He says... He promised promise, promise here for Isaac. For Pharaoh. Remember when he says that this is the purpose I raised up Pharaoh. That I may show in you so that I may show my power in you, and that may, my name may be declared on all the earth. So a lot of people say like, okay, Zambu'e, like, it's not Pharaoh's fault. How can you blame Pharaoh? Because God hardened his heart. What do you think? What do you think? What came first? I think Pharaoh made his own decisions. That's uh, just the way I see it. And did that come before or after God directed Pharaoh's behavior? I'm not sure. Because that would be the critical question, right? If Pharaoh decided to go down this path on his own first, then we can say that it was his choice. But if God hardened his heart from the start, then no matter what Pharaoh decided to do, then we know that God dictated that path. Right? I mean, we can't say both in the same breath and believe in free will at the same time. So I, I would 
them to think that Pharaoh chose his path first. Exactly. Exactly. And if you read the story carefully, you'll see that Pharaoh was stubborn from the start. Pharaoh chose to oppose God's will from the start. It was his decision from the start. He already determined what he's going to do. So what did God do? He used this situation for his glory. God can use the faithful person and the wicked person to reveal his will. Right? Just because God is working in you does not make you holy. Just because God is revealing his power does not mean that you're the reason that he's revealing his power through your work. Right? Remember in, in Matthew, he says, Many will come on that day and will say, Have we not cast out demons in your name and healed the sick in your name and raised the dead in your name? And I, I will respond and say, Assuredly, I do not know you. Why? Because God can work miracles through what I do because of His power, not because I'm holy. Right? God's work does not depend on my condition. Okay? So, if He can reveal His power through the righteous and the wicked, that means Pharaoh's disobedience and his rebellion does not prevent God from revealing His power. Because nothing can limit God. Pharaoh chose from the start to oppose God. Therefore, God used this opportunity to, to continue with Pharaoh along the same path so he can reveal his power. So that when Pharaoh's heart continues along the same path and he's stubborn and his pride resists God, he does not want to let the Jews leave Egypt, it goes to emphasize God's power whenever he pulls the Jews away from Egypt and liberates them from slavery. Okay? Everybody with me? I think you're on mute. Do you want to ask a question? You're still on mute. Aziza, unmute yourself. There you go. Okay, good. Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. Then I want to just 
we are equal the bad people and good people are the same because God is working with us now we are the same the same in God's ability let me ask you a simple question does the condition of a person restrict God's work to reveal his power whether the person is good or bad does the condition of the person's heart restrict God's ability from revealing his power no you remember he even said that if these people don't praise me like even the stones would cry out in praise right god can work in the animals of creation remember he sent a whale to swallow jonah and to take him across to nineveh right we see how the the little worm devoured the tree at the end right god can accomplish his will regardless of the situation regardless of the circumstances and god can reveal his glory even if i'm not faithful to him I'm not going to prevent God from revealing his glory if he chooses to reveal his glory. Nothing I can do can limit God. I can never limit God whether I'm good or bad. Does that make sense? Yes. So it doesn't matter. We're all the same in God's ability to reveal his glory. All right, so this is a good place to stop. I know that there's a lot to this chapter. Hopefully we'll we'll conclude the chapter and move on to chapter 10 next week. And I apologize if we're moving slowly, but I want to make sure we really digest this. Um, because this is a a big concept for us to understand God's providence and his wisdom and his love for us. Okay? So We'll stop here. If you have any other questions, comments, make sure to write them down. Just make a note so that next week we can start with them.